Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. My next guest is Oscar. He's been a friend for almost over 20 years. And his story is small kid, small town, coming up to big city lights to pursue his dream of being a comedian. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Oscar. Thank you for coming on to my podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> so um, I think it'll be fun to kind of start at the beginning on... Um, when you were in plantation growing up and what made you think you would be a comedian coming out to New York and kind of like just your journey on um, how you ended up here. Okay, great. Wow. Um, I also have some questions for you. All right. My first question is who listens to this podcast? Um, basically anybody and everybody, whoever follows me on Instagram, um, friends and family, whoever you'll get to listen to it. So, you know, if you're going to name your right. names, be cautious. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're, so we're talking to three people. That's what we're doing. Yes. Awesome. I'm just joking. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> um, well, my name is Oscar. I was born in Columbia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, to the listeners, um, hi, how are you? Chilka and I go way back. We met in college, and we live here in New York City. Actually, I live in New York City. She lives in suburban New Jersey, far, far away. <laughs> yes, I bridge and tunnel it often. Yeah, you have more space. Um, you have more room, but I have more excitement in my life. Um, <laughs> you do. You do. Absolutely. Um, wow. Where do we begin? Um, I, yeah, I grew up in, in suburban Fort Lauderdale by the name of little town, by the name of plantation. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I went to, I went to the university of Florida where I met Choka. Uh, I was actually thinking about this. Do you remember the day we met? I certainly don't. I don't at all. I remember we're in the few pictures with, um, so Oscar's in a fraternity and I'm in a sorority, which are, um, I guess you can say brother, sister organizations. And I remember being in a few pictures with you. I remember dating one of my story sisters. And I really don't remember how we met or how we were introduced. I just remember knowing of you. And then like I've brought up many times, my first real memory of us is we were at a picnic and we randomly ended up in your car, which I have no idea why I was alone with you in your car. Wow. Which wow. is a way whole to, other way to, way to paint the picture to the listeners. I think we might have gone on a run somewhere. I have no idea. But we started talking about finances. And I think you had just graduated or you were about to graduate. And you were just bitching about how much debt you're in and all this stuff. And I was like, yep, basically, that's how my life is going to be soon. And I remember, like, things that you said that in that conversation, like, it still sticks with me now that I'm in debt. Um, and it's so bizarre because 20 plus years ago... Who would have thought you would have been in my inner circle where you're like one of the top six, seven people that are getting my pictures from my newborn child? Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best thing about what you just explained is the fact that I was giving you financial advice and I looked at myself in the mirror and I am no one to give anyone financial advice. I, which is why I think it sticks out even more. <laughs> yeah, but... I will say that I, I did pay off my student loans. Which I'm envious of because I still have not. So maybe you weren't something. I basically switched out student loans for an insane amount of credit card debt. So 
I mean, you know, there's companies that can handle that for you, so it's okay. Yeah, that's the easy way out, though. <laughs>、um, <laughs> who wants who wants easy? <laughs> yeah, let's go the hard way.、Um, So, so I guess the question was how did I how did I end up in New York yeah, City? Who told you? Who told you that you were a funny, and that yes, you should absolutely go live your dreams out in New York and be a comedian. No one told me I was funny. You know, I just I just kind of caught on to a, a lifetime of of having the ease of making people laugh. You know, whether it was me making a face or like. Sticking out my shoulder blade in third grade, <laughs> yeah, I, I would stick out my shoulder blade as far as I could in third grade to just watch people laugh, and and it's and it's worked, and it still works. I can still do it. And sometimes when I'm bombing on stage, I just take my shirt off and start sticking my shoulder blade out. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have a failsafe to fall back on. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, no, no one was ever like you're funny. You should do this. So this is kind of my own trajectory that led me there. And I did my internship at Late Night with Conan O'Brien my senior year in college, and that's when I was exposed and I saw what that comedy is actually a business. It's part of the entertainment business and like music and acting and all those other.、Um, Ventures that other people take a take a leap into. I decided to take a leap into comedy, and it's it's been a it's been a fun journey.、Um, I've definitely I've met a lot of people. I've traveled to a, a a lot of places, but I think the most important thing I'm starting to realize it. It's kept me young. Yeah. You know, I compare myself to a lot of people our age, and I and I see them, and I'm like, man, you are, you are. You look old. You、yeah. look weathered. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the fact that I'm always laughing,、uh, or the fact that I'm always laughing and drinking, or <laughs> the fact that I'm always laughing and drinking, and I have no kids, and I have no wife, and I have no, you know, real responsibilities. You know, by no means am I mocking marriage or women,、um, but I, 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 I realistically do think that not having any of those. Situations、uh, leads you to have a, a much easier life, and when you have an easier life, you you know you you tend to look younger. Absolutely, and also you're living that single type life where you have the minimal responsibilities in an older age, where you kind of live out, you know, most people's ratchet years, but more classy. <laughs> Yeah, I have more、control. because right. You have more experience on how to handle those late nights and your drinking and all that stuff, which ultimately helps. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. Actually, today's January twenty second, and I haven't had a drink in seventeen days. All right. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot in New York. Oh yeah, especially when you work in a restaurant that's owned by Irish people, they welcome you with a shot of Jameson and they send you home with two shots of Jameson. Yeah. So you know, I'm yeah. No, you're right. Definitely at at my age, I'm able to kind of live a fun lifestyle, but be a little bit more grown up about it, a little bit more in control.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I called you. I recently went back to Florida、um, to college, and I think I texted you, and.、Um, I think you asked me like how like trashed I was, and I basically was like, you know, 
I was thinking why we didn't day drink more back then. And I realized that we were, had to go to class, A. But B, like, if we were able to day drink during the day and go to bed by 9 p.m., we would probably all be a little bit more functional during school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I felt like I lived out college, but more responsibly and classic. Yeah, I actually, I think about going to college. I, I think about going back to college all, all the time, really. Um, just because I know I would do better. Yeah, absolutely. And it really was you the know, I, best time of our lives. Yeah, and I want to have the second best time of my life. The problem is when I think about going back to college, I think that I would do the same exact things. Like I would go back to the sorority house and be like, yeah, I'm 41, but I still want to be a busboy here. <laughs> because I used to be a, a busboy at a at a sorority house and I was their football coach and I was their softball coach. So I would do that, except this time around, I would actually be a creep instead of just a student. (laughs) Who's it? Oh, it's just our house creep. Don't worry about him. Yeah. (laughs) Hysterical. So when, so you were in college, you did your internship um, and that's what brought you up to New York and kind of gave you that like taste of the city. Yeah. I mean, I did it. Um, I got accepted to do the internship. They have like a million applicants. I mean, they literally have like a million applicants and I'm not quite sure how I got picked, but I did, I landed the job and I was able to live the New York city life as like maybe, I don't know, like 20, 21 years old, maybe at the time I got to, I got to experience a little bit. Although I wasn't living in the city, I lived in New Jersey with my cousin. So she lives about 45 minutes out. She still lives in the same house. So, so I, I lived there for that semester, which was January 2001 until May of 2001. So I did five months at the internship. I lived six months here. I went back to school. Um, I, left with this, I, I left with this newfound love of trying to make people laugh on, you know, on stage. And I went back to Gainesville and realized that there was there was one little comedy club called Coconuts Comedy Club at the Holiday Inn by, I think it was 75 and Newberry Road. Mm-hmm. And they would have, I think they'd have one open mic night a week and then they would have a professional come by on the weekend. So I, I basically would go there every weekend and just watch comedians and then and I would try to get on to very little success because they're like, who are you? We don't know who you are. So then I, I decided to produce my own comedy shows and I was able to produce a, a few comedy shows in Gainesville that, that got some press, some student press, but press nonetheless. And I met a couple of comedians that I'm still friends um, with to this day. I ended up graduating that later on that, that year in December. And I still had, I still had uh, the itch to make people laugh. It's, you know, so I moved back home to plantation and I was able to get, a job that that facilitated that a little bit and at the same time the the clubs down there gave me gave me a lot of work luckily i was one of the i was one of their go-to guys and i did that for about i don't know two or three years and then it got to a point where life was like you need to go back to new york because the original plan was to graduate college and then head right back up to new york to do whatever it didn't matter i was just going to get whatever job but then september 11th happened and, and i graduated you know, two, three months later. And I was like, man, I can't go to New York right now. New York is hurting and the economy is a little slow. And I don't know. And I just wasn't ready. Eventually, three years later, I was ready uh, or life made me ready. And, uh, and I went back up and I've been here ever since 15 years, 15 years next week. 
That's crazy. That's a long time. That is a long time. So we basically actually almost moved up here around the same time then. Yeah, it was like 2004, maybe 2004 or five. Yep. And in 15 years of living in New York, you think you've seen everything and, uh, and yeah, you, you know, you do see a lot up here, but just yesterday I saw my very first dead person in the subway. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, transferring trains. I was on the number one train heading uptown. I, and I make a transfer at 59th Street, Columbus Circle. And from there, I head down one level to catch the, the A, B, C, or D. Yep. And when I went down, I, I noticed some police action, some police activity. And I paid it no mind because you see that all the time. There's police everywhere. Yeah. And then from one second to the next, I just see your gurney with a body bag literally 15 feet away from me. And I was like, oh, my God. I feel like people living in New York should have a checklist of things that they've seen because it'll never end. You'll constantly be just be checking off stuff and comparing oh, notes yeah. to everybody else because there's always something new every single day, no matter where I you mean, walk. It just, it just definitely catches you off guard. But like in typical New Yorker fashion, I was down there. I saw the body bag. I saw the gurney. I was a little bit startled. I was like, what, what is going on? Like the, someone's dead. Someone's in that bag. And like I told you, the bag was maybe 15, 20 feet away from me. Yeah. And as I was thinking to myself, what happened? You know, who was that person? My train arrived and I was like, well, my train's here. I got to go. And then I just hopped on the train and went home. Yeah. <laughs> or like a typical New Yorker, you're like, this better not fucking mess my, my commute up. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was everybody's that was everybody's internal thought, you know? Right. <laughs> like, great. This better not like, slow me down. Like, I was like, this one dead person is holding up 8 million people. Hurry <laughs> up and take them to the cemetery so we can get these trains back running. It's insane the way New Yorkers think, but it's also glorious at the same time. It is. And you know what? It only fits here because I take the same mentality somewhere else, specifically South Florida. And people are like, you are a dickhead. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. So even like, you know, at the beginning when I first graduated um, PA school, um, you know, my whole life purpose was to help people. So even if I saw something happen like in the streets or something like that, I'll be like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, do you need something? Like, I'm, you know, I'm in the medical field. A couple of years down the line, me and my friend are walking, um, I think on Houston, and there's somebody that's passed out on the street that's, you know, a huddle around the person. And we're talking, and we literally just stop for a second, look down, hear the sirens from, in, like in the distance, and we just keep talking and walking like we didn't see anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you would stop to everybody that needed help, like, we would never live life. You would never, you would never live in a city of 8 million people. You will never, ever be able to live your own life. I honestly, I, I don't care. And I'm so desensitized to people's problems that it some, a lady could literally be given birth on the side of the street <laughs> and I would just walk right over her, her baby and the adult. <laughs> it is. It's, no problem. It's the New York way. It just completely jades yeah. you no matter where you move from. It doesn't matter. As long as I, if I saw that the kid being born was a boy, I'd be like, oh, hey, name a Oscar. <laughs> and then just keep going. So but one of the craziest things that I saw in New York is, you know, I take trips home often. And, and the reason why I do it is not because I have money, but because it's my reset button and it keeps me from killing everyone here. Yes. But I think the interesting thing is that once you come back to New York City, it's, it takes maybe about an hour or two for New York City to welcome you back with some insane nonsense. So I fly into LaGuardia a lot. You take the, 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 the city bus, the M60 
mm-hmm. the city bus and it drops you off, you know, a couple blocks away from my apartment. And I remember getting off and then turning the corner. And this is at 125th Street at St. Nicholas, which is a pretty big intersection in Harlem. And then so I turned the corner and I just saw a pack of Rottweilers, like eight Rottweilers tied to a stop sign. And that scared me because I'm turning the corner and then there's just eight giant Rottweilers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. But I realized that they were tied up and that the owner, um, the owner, I guess, was inside the little bodega. And but, you know, it's a scary sight to see when you just turn the corner and there's a, you know, a, a pack of Rottweilers just sitting there salivating. That was one of the craziest things that I've seen upon returning in this to this crazy city. I'm sorry, but you were going to you were going to ask a question. No, well, first I was going to say, like, when you go back to Florida, it takes a minute for you to get adjusted down there as well, because I feel like me leaving New York has made me understand and realize how northeastern I've become because when I'm down there like I legit feel like I'm high all the time because everything's so slow moving and laid back and then I legit cannot drive in Florida because I have the worst road rage ever in life down there yeah I mean I've thought about the road rage situation and the road rage is it's kind of similar anywhere you go you know here it's different there's just so many people and it's 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 congested and you know that's just kind of the way of life here yeah over there there is a lot of people but it feels different because you see more space right maybe you see your you know you see your destination maybe so like let's just say you're on i-95 and you see miami but miami's 20 miles away but you can still see miami yeah Whereas over here you're in traffic but you can't see the next block because there's giant buildings everywhere yep um but traffic, Although driving... I had road rage here. I had, listen, I, I flew to Iowa, and I had road rage in Iowa. Yeah. No, anywhere else outside of city. Like, I actually, driving in the city is therapeutic to me. Like, I love driving in the city. I don't know if it gets, like, helps me, <laughs> like, a stress reliever, because I'm just honking and keeping up with the cabs. But when I go somewhere else, I'm like, holy shit, I really do have road rage. Like, why does this person take as long to move on the green light? Yeah, right. I, I went home one time and we were going to Miami Marlins game on a Saturday or Sunday, maybe. And we got caught in traffic. And it was like standstill traffic on I-95. And my brother looked at me. I was in the passenger seat. He's like, I bet this is what you wanted to come home to South Florida and be stuck and I-95 traffic and he said that because he's stuck on I-95 traffic every day but I'm not I'm stuck inside of a subway with you know four little kids dancing to you know Michael Jackson doing backflips in my face and so I told my brother I was like actually I'd, I would much rather be here in traffic with my family where we control the AC we control the music yeah. and we may not be moving but this is our environment where if you got stuck underneath the subway or in the subway underneath ground, you have you're surrounded by a bunch of animals. Yep. Some of which just may die in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and and hold up your commute even more. <laughs> and hold up your commute even more, exactly. Um, so you got up to New York and what was, because, you know, everybody thinks dreams about, you know, coming from a small town, making it big in a big city. Um, what were your expectations and how did you kind of navigate through getting, you know, all these like small jobs, first breaks, um, failing, coming back from it? And what 
kind of kept you still going 15 years after the fact um, and not really giving up? Um, I have, I gave up a long time ago. I, 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 yeah, I gave up. I gave up so long ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, to be honest, I didn't have any expectations. You know, I just moved here. Um, I didn't really think it through. Um, I didn't have a plan. I just kind of did it. So um, then at what point did you go from that starry-eyed little kid, like, oh, I'm going to go to New York, I'm going to hit it big, I'm going to become, you know, the man, to this might not ever happen, it may just be a hobby of mine, I'm just going to go with the flow, and if it happens, it happens? Um, that's definitely been more of the mindset lately. Uh, I hate to, you know, I hate to admit it, but you have to be realistic. Uh, I look at entertainment and and the people who are, are are being selected to do things, they're all young. They're all 24, 25. Everyone's like young and cute. And, you know, not like we're old, but we're definitely not young. Yeah. Um, and those are the kids that, those are the kids that are out every single night, every single night at a comedy club, at a comedy night. They're out networking, they're out drinking, they're out, you know, hanging out with more comics. And I did that for a while. Uh, I did that for a long time. And then, it, you know, you kind of just get start, you know, you start getting tired. I started getting tired. I value life a little bit more. You know, I'd rather be at home on a Wednesday talking to you. <laughs> uh, I'm not even kidding. I'd rather be at home on a Wednesday talking to, talking to you on your podcast than to be out at some, you know, East Village comedy night bar. Yeah where people are just, you know, I don't know, having beers about some nonsense conversation. Like those days, those days uh, have kind of passed me by, you know, I'll go hang out every once in a while, but every time I go hang out, I'm very quickly reminded, Oh, you don't belong here. This is, this is young people hang out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The scenes definitely changed across the board, no matter what you're doing. Um, Also, I think, I, I think as an older comedian, you start, you start talking more about life and life experiences. And if you hang out at a comedy club every single night, what experience are you going to be able to talk about other than hanging out at a comedy club every single night? Yeah. So I'd rather, I'd rather do things that are different. And on the few occasions I do get to do stand-up comedy, I like to talk about the things that I have done that are different. And I think that's absolutely what works because even the comedians that we love, um, you know, me and Devon, when we watch specials on shows or like, you know, just in general, go to comedy shows, comedians that can resonate with you and kind of bring in real life experiences are better than like fabricated stories because you're like, all right, that's funny, but it's absolutely 100% not true. Like we're smarter than that to believe that that even happened. Where I think just like naming facts and talking about facts that happen, you're like, oh, shit, that's absolutely right. And it's hysterical because it's absolutely 100% true. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, we value real-life experiences a little bit more. I went to a comedy club not too long ago, and it was a Friday night. And I was just hanging out, and I saw, I don't know, this kid must have been 20, 21, 22 on stage. And his entire set was about drinking and jerking off. Yeah, that's not that's not entertaining or funny. <laughs> Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, that's all. That's his, I mean, you know, that's his experience. That's all he's had to experience is getting drunk and and playing with himself where I have done that plenty. And I have <laughs> way, many, way many other stories. 
to compliment that. <laughs> I, you know, that's his day. His entire day is drinking and playing with himself. Where I'll be like, oh, you know, I well, we took the ferry to the beach, and then at the beach we went to this museum, and then at the museum we did this, and then we went to this bar and drank, and then we met up with this guy who was a producer, and then I got home, got drunk, and played with myself. <laughs> But even like using like, like, I think we were talking one night about just even like the subway cars and how quick the doors close. And I think you came up with, you know, it would be funny if the doors had like a sharply <laughs> razor blade edge. They'll shut, they'll stop the people trying to shove themselves in the cars quick. Yeah, that was one of my, you know, very early observations is that people just jam themselves into subway cars just to try to make it. And, and, you know, they hold up the train, people get annoyed, the conductor yells at you. And I was like, if if New York City just invested a little bit of money in making subway doors razor sharp, no one would run for train doors. (laughs) And all 8 million people will have an easy commute on time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we would have 4 million people instead of 8 million people. (laughs) Survivor of the fittest. Population control. <laughs> China, China tells people not to have babies. We're just like, yeah, just put them on the subway system. We'll get rid of them. Yeah. Hey, then there will be no Thanos. So, I mean, you've worked with some famous people as well. Like you have connections and you've worked with some people and opened up with some people. Um, how was that experience? Like, you know, working with them and just being in their kind of world and seeing how they've have their journey you know their journey famous people's journey is no different than our journey right uh famous people are no different than normal average people absolutely they just they just happen to you know maybe be at the right place right time uh make the right connection uh there are some you know characters out there you know your kanye west your j-lo those people are they have personalities that are too big for one room but but a lot of celebrities are very humble very normal people they're, they're like me and you except they just have money absolutely and i think uh-huh. the most recent one i i mean the most recent show that i came to with you um you were with donnell rawlings and he was amazing afterwards and he had i think either just had the baby or was about to have the baby and i remember like afterwards just say you know saying you were amazing on the show like it was so great and congratulations and he like spent the next 10 minutes just talking about family life and just you know being so humble and so nice they wouldn't like yeah, seeing but, him on tv you wouldn't expect that from him yeah for the listeners who don't know who donnell rawlings is donnell rawlings is ashley larry from the Chappelle show legend amazing and he's one of dave Chappelle's openers whenever he travels he's honestly hands down one of the funniest people i've ever seen work the stage he really was that guy that guy can make any audience laugh. We saw him together because I opened for him at a small comedy club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, by the name of Bananas Comedy Club. And he had everybody there in complete, like, bent-over laughter. And then I saw him open for Chappelle at Radio City Music Hall, and he had, he had 6,000 people bent over in complete, just bent over laughter. And I was like, this guy's magical. Yeah. He's awesome. And he legit just talked about, like we said before, just everyday normal life. It wasn't like a, you know, oh, and then I did this with Dave or then and I did this in my celebrity life. Like it was like, yeah, I got up and took a shit. And it was funny the way he like said it and put it into a situation. Yeah. I mean, the guy made fun of one song for like 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was amazing. He's magical. I love that guy. But you know, you get to work with with a lot of people, and and a lot of them are are just awesome because they're normal. Yep. And 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 they may and they and they kind of it, it makes you feel good that that you're you're working towards being somebody. You're like, oh, I'm I'm working towards being somebody big and important. But then you realize that that the big and important people are 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 just like you. They're they're no different than me and you. Speaking of people, you know, I have never met Chris, my buddy, Chris Clark. Yep. Never met him. We're just friends on Facebook and talk shit about you. Yeah. He's the best. I love that kid. He's amazing. <laughs> but I've yeah. never like, we've always like never been able to cross paths because either he shows up somewhere and I'm not there or I'm there. And he's like, no, I'm out of town doing a gig, but we've bonded over being your friend and talking shit about you, which is amazing. That's so funny. You know, I have to be honest. I, I, I admire Chris a lot because he has never given up on his dream of being a stand-up comedian. Never. Yeah. Not for, not for one day. Yeah. And um, it, it doesn't matter what obstacle has been in his way. He's always been like, I'm, I'm going to do comedy. And he opens for, um, he opens for Rob Schneider. Yes. I saw that. And, and he does like, you know, big clubs and theaters and he travels everywhere with them. And, and, and that's just, that just goes to show his perseverance, you know, for, for being out and making people laugh and dedicating uh, his, his life to his craft where I can pay, you know, I'm over here trying to figure out how I'm going to pay my rent. And, and when, when you, when you spend so much time trying to figure out how you're going to live, you drain yourself creatively. Yeah. Um, so I spend that day, you know, I spend a lot of time working, and then by the time I get home, I'm like, I have no energy to go anywhere, um, and I just, I call it a day. Where Chris has always been like, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go somewhere, and I'm gonna get on stage somewhere, and and it's it's definitely worked out for him. Yeah, he's just, I mean, just listen, like listen, looking at his posts, um, and just seeing like everywhere he's going, what he's doing, like he's definitely putting in his time and his work, and. Um, you know, he, it, like you said, it's hit or miss, depending on the look of the draw and where you are at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, how did you guys meet? We met at the Las Vegas comedy festival in 2003. Obviously. I approached him, I approached him because he was very antisocial and I was very antisocial and I went up to him and I was like, Hey, I've noticed you've talked to nobody. And I, I think that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I swear to God, he goes, yeah, I hate all these fucking cornballs. And I was like, oh, my God, me too. <laughs> and we just bonded over that. We bonded over hating other people. Which most friendships are born that way. Yeah, it's just most friendships are, are based on hatred. Yep. But he's awesome. I, 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 I love that guy. He's, if, listen, if you want to know, like the, the, like, the true, true Oscar, what, which you will never, no one will ever. There's only one person that knows it, and that's Chris. And if you want to know who the true, true Oscar is, you have to take my phone after I die and just read me and Chris's conversations. All right, well. On, on, on text. I'll just take, um, if you want to put that in your will, just to have a transcript of your text messages sent to me. That'd be you, marvelous. You will, yeah, you will, um, you'll be like, wow. <laughs> You'll, you'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, saying that I've never met him, I think we need to um, fix this and actually hang out together um, in 2020. 
Yeah, well, listen, you know, we're me and you were we're co-producing a show for the uh, Gotham Gators Alumni Club of New York City. And so we're going to do a comedy night on Friday, March 6th. Yes, we are. And if for some reason, if for some reason, Chris happens to be in town that weekend, I'm going to have him come by. Yeah, absolutely. It's at the Taylor Public House. 35th and 8th. If you're listening to this in New York City, uh, we're doing a comedy show. It's going to be awesome. And it's on Friday, March 6th, uh, I think 7, 730. Yep. And uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, I, I live for comedy. Honestly, it's 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 what I love to do. I love making people laugh. I love watching people laugh. It's something that I found out lately. Like I enjoy watching people watch someone else and laugh. Especially um, when people have that, like, like my son has that laugh from like the belly. So no matter what you're doing, when he laughs, you just have to laugh because that's how contagious his laugh is. And I think in this day and age, being able to laugh um, and being in that environment just helps calm people down and bring back sanity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, living in New York city, you get a lot of people visit and, and when they visit, they want to go out on Friday and Saturday nights. So like, oh, let's go, let's go to this bar. Let's go to that bar. Let's go to this bar. Come with me to this bar. I hate going to bars. I, there's nothing I'd rather not do than go to bar. Like I, there's, I, I, I just do not like bars. I will go to a comedy club and and watch people laugh, but I, I won't go to a bar where the music is super loud. I got to scream in your ear. Drinks are overpriced. Like there's nothing positive about a bar. Yeah. And I feel like now it's the same thing everywhere you go, no matter where you go in the country. It's the same thing over and over again, um, where little experiences like this is like the true New York experience where you know, the guy on the streets is like, hey, comedy show, comedy show, free comedy show. And you're like, all right, cool. Let me go in there. And it becomes one of the best nights you've ever had in your life. Yeah, that's one of the most gratifying things about doing comedy. A lot of people come up to you after a show and whatever situation they're going through. And I've heard, you know, I've heard a couple. I've I've heard, you know, my mom died and I couldn't get out of the funk. So my friends and family brought me here. So thank you. Um, I've been diagnosed with cancer and I wanted to do something to, to... you know, lift my spirits, uh, and you definitely helped. Um, we lost a baby, and we couldn't really get over it. So we were thinking of ways to um, to to not think about that. Um, so when you when you hear those those thank yous for from people who do the normal thing, do when when people are in normal rudimentary lifestyles, and then they break off and, and go to a comedy club and they enjoy it. And then they thank you for it. It's one of the best feelings ever. Yeah. But also one of the worst feelings ever is to tell someone to go to a comedy club and they hate it because the comics suck. And they're like, why the fuck did you send me here? <laughs> this was torture. But you got two drinks out of it. So how do you get ready to do a set? Like, Do you try out material beforehand? Do you just go up and wing it? Do you just hope that, you know, we'll have a good crowd? No, you, you, <laughs> You, you, you never go up and wing it. The first, that's only amateur style. For me, obviously, some people just get up there and be funny, but you, you can't really just get up there and wing it. That, that doesn't really work. Right. Um, you, have, you, have to have, you have to have punchlines. You have to have things that make people laugh. And, and you can only get those through experimenting and, and, and putting stuff out there. So, you know, I do a lot of shows where they're not important um, to me. 
and sometimes to the producer, he's like, we just know that this is more of like, like a workout. Room. Right. So you'll try out a couple of jokes here and there. But for the most part, by this point, you know, I've been doing it 19 years. Um, you know what works and you know what doesn't work. So you, you go up there with what works. And uh, if it's a good crowd, you sneak in a couple of other things if, to see if, you know, you, you always want to keep adding uh, to your repertoire. And and if the and if it's not going good, then you do your best to, to try to make them laugh because not every crowd's gonna laugh, you know. I've done shows. I've done shows where people haven't laughed for the entire show, and it's it, it can be very confusing. It's like, whoa, I thought I was funny, but I, I guess to these people, I'm not. Um, that happened to me in Germany actually. When I went to Germany, I went to Germany for like eight or nine shows, and as the only American on the bill, I did comedy in English and. Uh, the younger Germans laughed. They laughed a lot. But the older Germans, there was a couple of shows that I did that was mainly older, older people in Germany. Uh, they stared at me like, boy, like, I, well, I was up there swimming. <laughs> and every joke that came and went, I was like, oh, that one didn't work, but this one's going to work. And then you do that one and then that one doesn't work. And you're like, oh, but this one's going to work. And then before you know it, you're just like, these people have been staring at me for 45 minutes. I think I think I should call it a day. <laughs> I love it. So, I, I, you know, I prepare by, by bringing some of the true... Uh, the, 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 the tested material that I know works. And then every so often you kind of sneak in some other thoughts, you know what I mean? Like you sneak in other, you know, like the other day, look, I'm at, I've been hanging out with a girl that's 28 years old and it's the best because she's awesome. She, she's young, whatever. And I had to start pop into my head and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it at the comedy club. So in the middle of all my jokes, I was like, yeah, I'm dating a 28 year old. And, um, I'll never forget the day I met her. Uh, her parents were like, here are her diapers. Uh, we'll be home at eight. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the crowd laughed. But then they, they laughed. But then they, the laughter turned into a groan. And I was like, oh, okay. I see where that joke is going. Yeah. Because <laughs> then they're like, oh, shit. You are a creeper. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wow, 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 funny. Wait, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Take a picture of this guy just in case he's on the news later. So... Some last minute questions. What's your okay. favorite movie at right now? Oof, I'm terrible with movies. Um, or what show are you into right now? I was trying to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Which I think you um, would enjoy. Like, sh- that show is actually I, funny. My 20-year-old Booski uh, was like, you need to watch Breaking Bad. So I started Breaking Bad. And I like Breaking Bad. First, first of all, she was probably like 11 when that, when that show came out. Yeah, yeah, we trust me. You know. I'm mad that this is now happening in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who are? I don't know if the people who are going to listen to this podcast are going to think about me hanging out with a 28 year old, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually older than you know, which which is good. <laughs> the 28 is okay. 28 is fine. Um, top three funny people. Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr, Louis C.K. Well, do you have any closing remarks to people that are trying to live their dream, you know, doing that whole, I'm just going to move to L.A., New York, and figure it out along the way? Um, What do you have to say to those people? I I say do it. Um, I say do it because the more you think about it, the more you overthink it, uh, the less you're going to do it. Right. You know, you just have to, yeah, you just have to jump in. 
jump in. Once you're here, then you'll figure it out. Once you're here or LA or wherever your dreams might want to take you, you'll be able to say, okay, I can do this. Or thank you, I'm going back home. I've met a lot of people who have come here and stayed, and I've met just the same amount of people who have come here and been like, this city's not for me, I'm going back home. So just just do it. Just stop thinking about it. Stop asking people's opinion. Um, stop asking for your mom's blessing. Just do it because ultimately it's it's your life. And I'm all about experiences and, and, and stories to tell. And if you move and you live in L.A. or New York for a year, you're going to be able to tell stories. You're going to be able to be like, I did this and this is what came of it. But if you don't, then you're just going to tell people, oh, I wanted to do it and I never did it. Right. And that's not exciting. So live for the moment, believe in yourself, don't have regrets. All of those and find happiness, pursue happiness, do what makes you happy. If you go to a restaurant and you have to eat a salad because that's, you know, what, what people do to stay slim, but you really want a cheeseburger and a cheeseburger is going to make you happy. You eat that fucking cheeseburger, man. <laughs> Be happy. Amen to the foodie. Yeah, seriously. Well, thank you so much. Um, Joker, you're the best. Love you, Bill. Thank you. Love you, too. Let me know when this episode is up so I can listen to my own voice. I will. You'll be, you'll be surprised. <laughs> to all the listeners, I love all of you. <laughs> all right, guys. Till next time. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye.